Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash Great Detectives. I have a couple of announcements today. First of all, if you want to find out whether uh, the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio won in either category in the podcast awards, you can watch the live stream of the awards. I should have an embed link up on day, which will be September the 30th, International Podcast Day. The event gets underway at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Second, I do also want to announce that the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio next t-shirt design will be publicly released and available to order on October the 18th. So three weeks from today. And I will have details on that episode of I Hate Crime about the t-shirt. And we'll be running a campaign for about six weeks. And then after that, it will be available for individual order, although that tends to be at a higher price. Well, now let's get into this week's episode of I Hate Crime. This time we skip ahead a few episodes. This is episode 19 with an original air date of 1949 or 1950, let's go ahead and take a listen. It had been quite a night, so I got to the office a few hours late. I opened the mail, put two bills in a drawer of my desk... Crossed an ad for a new type of corset in the waste paper basket. I sat for a while. Then I went to the window. Looked down at the busy street. I saw a car pull up at the curb, a prowl car. A mob of cops get out. A few seconds later, another prowl car pulled up further down the street and another group of the boys in blue emptied onto the sidewalk. About five minutes passed, and then... Hi, Kent. Hello, Sarge. My visitor was Detective Sergeant Paul Conway, CIB. He looked around the office as he walked to my desk. How long have you been in here, Kent? Oh, a while. How long? About a quarter of an hour. Anybody come in? No. Fellow with a bullet in him? Bullet, huh? Yeah. Well, that's interesting, but the answer is still no. We chased him through the streets. We think he may have entered this building. Well, he's not here, Sergeant. I'll, uh, I'll open the desk drawers if you like. I didn't ask for any cracks. Well, I'm just trying to help, Sarge. How about the broom closet or the, uh, the safe? Uh, what do you want him for? Murder. Hmm. Did you guys put the bullet in him? No. How do we killed him? Well, how many wasting my time here? Yeah. Oh, what's the guy's name? Uh, in case I see him. We don't know. Keep your door locked. I'm giving the same instructions to everybody in the building. Right, Sarge. I locked the door. <laughs> 
sat behind my desk again. Half an hour passed. I went to the window. The prowl cars were gone. I lit a cigarette. And then... Well, holy lucky thing, he didn't, didn't take your suggestion about that room closet. You're the uh, guy that... Yeah. yeah, that's right. I, I came up the, the stairs. Your door was open, so... It's a bad habit of mine. You got anything to drink? I'm not in the habit of offering my scotch to killers. I'm no killer. Yeah, well, this is one time I'm believing the cops. Oh, no. Look, put, put, put the gun away. I, I came here to get your help. Sorry, brother. For the love of heaven, give me a drink. Sure, sure. I'll also call the cops and tell them to bring a doctor. No, no. No, it's only a, just a flesh wound. It's... My arms stopped bleeding already. How about the blood all over your face? Huh? Oh, a bullet creased my scalp and knocked me out. Yeah, you really had yourself a little war, didn't you? Yeah. Sit down. No, no, no. Don't use the phone, kid. Sorry. Look, will you listen to me first? And then after I'm through, you can make up your mind what you want to do. Oh, please, Ken, give me a chance. Criminal investigation branch. I was always told you were a square shooter, Kent. That's why I came here. Please, Kent, listen to me. Hello. Hello. This is the CIB. Sorry. Wrong number. Okay. You can talk. First, what's your name? Edwards. Frank Edwards. Mm-hmm. Why were the cops tagging you? Well, I... Look, Ken, can I have that drink? Yeah, all right. Just don't reach for this gun. You don't have to worry about me. Here. Thanks. Ah, it's better. You said you wanted to talk. Yes, I'll try to give you all the facts. I'll give them to you before I pass out. Go on. Hmm? Well, I... I got a telephone call. About an hour and a half ago. Yeah? It was from my partner, Sam Kennedy. We, we run an import business together. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, it was a funny sort of call. I, I just reached the office. And Sam... Said he wanted to see me at his place. He has a flat over at uh, Marshall Towers there, only a few streets from here. Yeah? Well, I was, I was just about to press his door buzzer. I heard a shot. The walls are pretty thick, but... Well, the sound wasn't loud, but I, I knew it was a shot. Yeah. Well, I pushed open the door and went in. I saw Sam on the living room floor. There was a fellow there, kneeling beside him. There was a, a gun on the floor. Well, I, I started for this fellow, kneeling there. The next thing I knew, there was explosion in my head. Blackness. I guess I must have went out to it. Yeah, give me your glass. Just a minute. Yeah. 
Thanks. I really appreciate this, kid. Save it. Just keep talking. Yeah. Well, I don't know how long I was out to it, but when I regained consciousness, this fellow who had shot me was gone. And Sam was dead. The automatic was still near his hand, but now there was another gun on the floor. I didn't touch anything. I just went down the stairs. I, well, I didn't realize how bad I looked. This blood and everything. Well, then I think somebody shouted. I started running. I came into this building. I saw your sign on the door. And, well, well, you know the rest. Hmm. That's a good story. Kent, it's not a story. Well, the cops will see it this way. You went to kill your partner and you had a little shooting match. But it was made to look that way. Then why did you run? I don't know. I, I just ran. I had to do Well, you had your say. Kent. Just sit there. I shoot. What? what? Put down that phone. Put it down, you hear? I'll, I'll shoot. Sure. Well, what next? Kent, all I want to do is convince you that I'm innocent. Holding my own gun on me isn't a way to do that, Edwards. I'm not going to let the police get me. They will, sooner or later. Listen. Listen, Kent, I can pay you. For what? Prove I'm innocent. <laughs> you know, you say the darndest things. It's true, I... You're out on your feet from loss of blood. Why don't you give up? I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Please, Ken, believe me. Well, why are you holding my gun on me? Oh, listen, Ken, listen. My, my partner, Sam Kennedy, he, he'd been taking money out of the business. He admitted that over the phone this morning. But he said he had the money to make up for it. He had it in cash. So? So he was killed for the money. Can't you see that? Then, when I showed up... The killer took advantage of it? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's pretty hard to swallow. Oh, listen, Kent, listen. I know Sam did a lot of gambling at, at Jim Carney's place. You've heard of Carney. I know him. Yeah, then you you know what, what kind of a man he is. Yeah. Yeah. A rat. That's right. But that doesn't mean... That... Look, take the case for me, Kent. I've got the money. That won't make me take the case, Edwards. It's got to be done my way. Then you mean you will? If you hand the gun over... No. You'll call the police. Sure I will. It's the only way. You need a doctor. The doctors have to report gunshot wounds. Yeah, but if... Even if you got past the doctor, you'd have to hide out. Jump at shadows. Uh... Chances are when the cops did find you, you'd try to fight it out and... That'd be that. But the way it looks, I... I won't have a chance. You'll have me working for you if you hand over the gun. If you don't... I'll know that, that what you've been telling me is a great big story. But it isn't. A like... gun, Edwards. And I'll work for you. Well, what'll it be? I don't know. I... I suppose you're right. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> it wouldn't have done you any good anyhow. There are no bullets in the first two chambers. Huh? By the time you pressed the trigger for the third, I'd have been all over you. Look, Kent, I've got money. I'll give we'll you... We'll worry about that later. 
guy in the apartment. What did he look like? Huh? He was... He was very big. Yeah. Well over six feet. His nose was sort of flat. Mm-hmm. A big jaw. He wore a... a brown suit. I phoned the CIB. Sergeant Paul Conway had just got in. I told him to bring a doctor and come straight to my office that I was holding his man for him. He arrived with a police doctor and three friends. The doctor did what he could for Frank Edwards, and the cops took him away. Paul stayed with me for a while. Oh, had him all the time. Yeah, yeah, but I knew nothing about it. He was in the broom closet. Am I expected to believe that? No, but it's the truth. <laughs> That's a laugh. If you think so, this will make you hysterical. I figure he's innocent. Too bad I'm not the laughing type. Yeah, if you were, here's something that'd make you roll on the floor. I'm going to prove he's innocent. Jim Carney rang a baccarat school in an apartment house that overlooked the Garden Island dockyards. Well, you never know who's going to be at the door these days. May Thomas went with Connie's apartment. She was built like a hen-pecked accountant's pipe dream. Come to place in Baccarat, private eye? Maybe. Then I'm sorry, but we've closed up. Oh, why? We heard that things were going to be warm for us. So, Jim's looking around for new surroundings. Jim in? Nope. I'll bet you a fiver you're wrong. <laughs> it's easy money. You're on. Come in. Thanks. Um, Larry Kent? I'd like you to meet Chipper. Chipper Davies, late of Melbourne. Hi. Hello. Tell Larry what he's doing to you. Hey, wait a minute. I've heard of this guy. He's a private snoop. It's all right. He plays back around himself. Tell him where Jim is. Looking for a new place for his games. See you, Larry. That'll cost you a fiver. Yeah. There you are, May. Thanks. So you're just up from Melbourne, Chipper, huh? Yeah. What are you doing in Sydney? Why should you want to know? Why, eh? I wanted to know because Chipper Davies was about six and a half feet high, had a flat nose, a big jaw and was wearing a brown suit. I don't like blokes staring at me, Private Eye. You should be used to it by now. What do you mean by that? Well, you make an imposing figure sort of fellow another guy remembers and can give you a good description of. What is this, Larry? I'm passing the guy a compliment. I don't like the way you said it. As a matter of fact, I don't like a lot of things about you. Easy, Chip. Let him go. The big ones make such a nice noise when they go down. Why, you little... No, Chipper. You heard what he said. Jim that... doesn't like it if you lose your head. Yeah. 
All right, May. You know, it's funny. Better take it quietly, Larry. Sure, yeah. I was only going to say that I can't see the strings. Strings? Yeah. The strings that Jim Carney pulls to make you move. You know something? I'm going to like meeting you in a dark alley one of these days, Private Eye. Just name the alley. You're not using your head, Larry. Chipper didn't use his a few hours ago, either. I don't get you, Kent. Don't you? Maybe you'd better explain, huh? I'll get closer to you because you're not talking loud enough. Chipper. Jim. Well, what's this? Hello, Connie. What are you doing up here, Kent? Just having a talk with your paid assassin. All right, Kent, you asked no, for you it. No, you don't. You take one more step, Chipper, and I'll put another buttonhole in your shirt. Gun and all, huh? Come over and make it a trio, Connie. You sure you know what you're doing, Kent? Positive. Maybe you'd better think about it, Larry. I've already done my thinking. About five grand's worth. Which means? Five thousand pounds, Connie. <laughs> you don't make sense. I will in just a couple of minutes. I figure that what I know is worth 5000 to you, Connie. For that kind of money, you'd have to know a lot. I do. Like... Well? Like what, Ken? The three of them were looking at me intently. There was fear in their eyes. I got ready to do a lot of guessing, some lying, and a lot of bluffing. I'm waiting to hear what you've got to say, Kent. You're, uh... Hired gun looks worried, Connie. I'm gonna get my hands on your neck and I... That'll be a change. You used a gun this morning. What is this, Kent? Sounds to me like some comedian's been giving you a lot of misinformation. The comedian had been hit with two bullets. What's this crumb talking about? The guy's name is Frank Edwards. He had a partner named Sam Kennedy. I said had because Kennedy is dead. Sam Kennedy? Dead? Yeah. First I've heard of it. Why, Sam's one of our clients. Yeah. He was only here the other night. Which is why Chipper's here now. Which is why Sam Kennedy is dead. You're still not making any sense, Ken. Look, Connie, let's put our cards on the table. Here's what I know. First, Sam Kennedy was losing a lot of dough playing Baccarat till the other night when he made a killing. He won a little. He won a lot. That's why you've closed the games. You don't want the police asking your other clients a lot of embarrassing questions about exactly how much he did win. It was a few hundred. Uh-uh. It was enough so that Connie and you wanted your hands on him. It was enough so that you could afford to import our friend Chipper here from Melbourne. I like this crumb less and less. You keep your distance, sonny boy. Uh, Kent, this is all very interesting. Oh, I'm, I'm only starting. Let him keep talking. He's got such a wild imagination. No, honey, no, not imagination. These are facts. When Chipper arrived from Melbourne, you put the finger on Sam Kennedy. So this morning, Chipper went to Kennedy's apartment... He did what he had to do, then he impressed Kennedy's prints on the murder gun and lay the gun near the body. He was ready to hit the road when Frank Edwards busted in. I said keep your distance, Chipper. 
Go on, Kent. You got me in suspense. Well, a while before that, Frank Edwards received a phone call from Kennedy, who told him it made a killing here at Baccarat. Kennedy told him because he'd been milking money from the till, wanted to set things straight. And? Chipper had another gun. He fired two shots at Edwards, who went down. One slug scraped his temple. Chipper figured he was dead. He had to change his plans. He wiped the prints from the first gun, put Edwards' prints on it, then he put Kennedy's prints on the second gun, which made it look like they'd had a little war. Uh, uh, pardon me while I go on, will you? You don't kid me, Connie. You're worried. The three of you are. We've got nothing to be worried about. Well, that might be because I haven't come to the really interesting part. And what might that be? Chipper's fingerprints. What fingerprints? On the gun you shot Edwards with. The automatic. This guy's crazy. You were I... careful to wipe your prints from the outside of the gun, Chipper, but you forgot one thing. The clip. There were two very clear prints on the cartridge clips. Clip? Yeah. I figure that's worth five grand, don't you, Connie? This Edwards fellow... I've got him on ice at the CIB. He doesn't know about the prints on the clip. Maybe I won't tell him. If I get five grand. Look, I wiped the clip, Connie. I'm sure oh, I wiped it. You're a fool, Chipper. Ah, who's not worried now? Well, you keep up the masquerade, Connie? You do? I hand that clip to the cops. Where do you have it? Yeah, that's better. I said, where do you have it? In a place you'll never find it. But it's yours for five grand. I... I can't get that kind of money without going to the bank. I'll give you eight hours to rake it up. But I... Do. Eight hours. I'll be waiting in my apartment. It's five o'clock. You've got till one in the morning. So long. Well, I'd done my guessing and my lying and my bluffing. And it had paid off. I didn't go straight home. I arrived at the apartment at about eight. And then I waited. Nine o'clock. Ten. Half past. I took out my thirty-eight, went to the door, moved fast. Hello. Hi. As you can see, I'm alone. Is that a gun you're holding behind the door? <laughs> you're going to shoot me, are you, Larry? Come on in. Oh, thank you. That's a nice gun. Glad you like it. What there is of it. <laughs> well? Jim sent me. And? You win. Five thousand? Mm-hmm. Here it is in my purse. Ten pound. What? Don't try anything, Larry. It's only a twenty-two Smith & Wesson, but it, it'll do the job. I should have had my eyes open. So now Connie is using a dame to do his dirty work. Not exactly. 
All right, Jim. Nice work, May. Where's Chipper? Where you'll be very soon, Kent. Taking a guess, I'd say you meant the bottom of the harbor. That's an idea. But Chipper's in French's forest. Soon there'll be bush flowers growing all over his head. It was too, uh, dangerous having a dope like that around, huh? Exactly. I want the clip, Kent. But you don't need it with Chipper dead. I like everything tied up neatly. Suppose I uh, don't give it to you. Then you die harder. Maybe I left a letter where a lawyer could get his hands on it. I'll take that chance. There's still Frank Edwards and his story. He'll tell the cops about seeing Chipper there over Kennedy's body. But Edwards couldn't possibly know about Chipper. He's worried, Jim. I was looking forward to this. How does it feel to be worried, Larry? Not so good. But you two aren't out of it yet. There's the phone call Edwards got from Kennedy telling him about the big win he had at your place. No one else knows about that call, Kent. The gentlemen of the CIB will say it's a very nice story. They'll check with me and I'll admit that Kennedy won some money. I have an alibi for the time of the shooting. So does May. You're the only link in the chain that can bring the police to us, Larry. Without you, there's nothing. Going to let me have the clip? If it means you don't shoot me. No. He must have it here, Jim. You'll never find it. I don't think we'll even bother looking for it. Let the police find it later. They'll probably think it's one you left laying about. But they know the clip is missing from the automatic that was on the floor. He's right, Jim. Pull the gun on him. I'll search this room first. Mm-hmm. He started searching. His back was to me. May's back was to the bedroom door. It opened quietly. Then... All right, freeze. What? Wait. Did you hear enough, Sarge? Plenty. Drop the gun, lady. Boy. Better do as he says, May. No, May. Get Kent. But she didn't because I grabbed her wrist and twisted huh? A lot of things happened in less than a second. May let go of the little gun. Oh. On the other side of the room, Carney clawed at his pocket for the gun that bulged there. It was a fool move. Sergeant Paul Conway was a dead shot. Oh. I don't think he hears you, me. But we're going to hear you, aren't we, lady? Down at headquarters, if you're smart, you're going to tell us a lot. And she did. The body of Chipper Davis was recovered. I got a check from Frank Edwards. Believe it or not, some kind words from the boys in blue. On top of that, Frank Edwards had a sister. She appreciated all I did for her brother. She was a redhead with green eyes and a wonderful... Nature. She had a nice apartment all by herself over it. No, that's one thing I'm not going to broadcast. Good night. Welcome back. Okay, so Larry Kent goes one place and bluffs out the bad guys. I'm always a little skeptical about that uh, fingerprints on the cartridge uh, thing, because wouldn't the heat 
to mess it up. Uh, if there's any expert in the audience, I'd love to hear her. But a solid bluff by Larry Clint. Now, as I said yesterday, I generally don't guess at actors, but I'm going to do it again, two days in a row. And I'm talking, of course, about Australian actors where I have even less uh, ability or an ear for these sort of things than I do American actors. But the guy who played Frank Edwards... It sounds to me a lot like George Edwards. And I guess giving a character the same last name as the actor who plays him probably was not something that would have been a concern for the folks on I Hate Crime. George Edwards was a radio actor and producer. He produced a lot of serials. Uh, one of the more common ones is his Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde 52-episode serial. But I know him from the Les Miserables 52-episode serial he did. That was a lost series recently uncovered by Radio Archives. They had 50 of the 52 episodes, released it across two volumes. Thought it was a really good uh, serial. Uh, with uh, Radio Archives, of course, they always turn out excellent sound quality for the product. And I think the adaptation was pretty well written, even though it did change the ending. I enjoyed it quite a bit. If there are any Australian radio enthusiasts who disagree or think it wasn't George Edwards, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Mr. Edwards did live until 1953, so certainly he would have been alive at the time that this episode first aired. So now we turn to programs I would recommend if you enjoy I Hate Crime. And for this sort of hard-boiled, fast and loose, violent uh, character, there are a couple of series that come to mind. The first one is the series That Hammer Guy, which is the radio adaptation of Mike Hammer. We have another series, uh, this one an Australian series as well, it's called that Strong Guy, which to me appears to be a, an Australian adaptation of that Hammer Guy radio scripts, but without using Mike Hammer as the lead and not having his uh, supporting cast of characters. You also might like The Man from Homicide, although Lieutenant Ludana is a bit more dour. That might be of interest that uh, you can find the shows by going over to the big list of old-time radio detective shows at biglist.greatdetectives.net. You can also find them in most major podcast stores in the entry called Most Hated Detectives of Old Time Radio. And uh, this contains shows. I went through a period where I did not make uh, feeds for every uh, new program we did. And so we ended up with a backlog. Uh, a lot of the major programs I went ahead and did. But then there were other shows that I don't think there was any indication that an individual show feed would be all that popular. So I did some group feeds. And I did the most hated detectives of old time radio to group together programs that had gotten a lot of complaints. So you'll, you'll find all three of those programs I mentioned uh, in that feed along with Standby for Crime and It's a Crime, Mr. Collins. 
listener comments and feedback now. We, and we start with an email from Jonathan. Hello again from Las Vegas. And he writes uh, regarding the uh, Michael Shane uh, program in the Twice Told Tale uh, program. And he writes uh, regarding this. Uh, this time the writers got a lot of gambling phrases and nuances right, and I thought you and the listeners might enjoy hearing what some of them mean. The casino owner giving out the chip as a promotion to Shane is still done today. A promotional chip has no real cash value and must be played on a live table game. If the bet wins, the promo chip actually turns into a real live gaming chip that people can cash in for money, but usually they just keep playing. Dealing seconds, just like it sounds in a single or double uh, deck game where the cards are held in the hand to hold the top card in place and deliver the second card instead. This is also done with the misdirection that one has also dealt the top card in the regular uh, fashion. Dice shimmying, loaded dice, dice with curved faces or uneven dice don't land correctly, and if one looks uh, just as it stops moving, there is a tiny extra movement. There was a small capsule of lead inside the dice, and if one banged it down, the heavier side would jiggle, then face down after you rolled it. This is why people still bang dice on the table and don't know why they do it. The white dice were abandoned for clear dice to stop that. As for the croupier being able to drop the ball into any pocket he wants, uh, this is another story with a huge mount of anecdotal stories inside the casino industry and among us croupiers ourselves. I've worked in many casinos and with some of the finest roulette dealers on the planet. Some of them have been dealing for 50 years. Not a single one of them has ever said they could hit any number at any time as described in the Shane episode. Many have their favorite numbers and many will also tout the numbers that the players like for tips. For instance, number 17 which usually has an Empire State building of chips piled on it. However, there is a phenomenon called hitting your section. This is a subtle nuance of roulette that most players completely miss in the USA, but most European roulette players don't, especially on the European single zero roulette wheel. American roulette has zero and double zero, giving the casino an even greater house edge. Most people will play roulette, uh, red, black, odd, even. There are a ton of bets, also birthdays, anniversaries, and lucky numbers. All the numbers are disjointed and all over the wheel. Europeans and smart uh, players play sections of the wheel. For instance, 31 is surrounded by 18, 19, 6, 8, 12, and 21. That is a section of the wheel. Playing all those numbers at the same time is probably a better chance uh, the numbers scattered around the wheel. Uh, the other night I was dealing and everyone playing was of course rooting for 17. I spun the ball many times and hit 5, 22, 32, and 20. They kept complaining I quote unquote just missed it. However, a wiser player would have been playing that section and have won four times. All these numbers were exactly surrounding 17. Was I trying to hit 17? Yes, I need the tips to support my family, and I was egging them on and making the game a little more fun. It's the suspense of watching the ball bounce around that everyone enjoys. Uh, the little metal canoes are the diamond-shaped 
uh, metal pieces that are embedded in the sides of the wheel. Once the ball hits those, it will bounce and bounce. There's no way to know uh, where it is going to land uh, afterwards. Sometimes it misses the canoes. Now, don't uh, anybody take this as gospel fact and go running out with the rent money to try playing wheel sections. It's just a little smarter way to play roulette. Only take money you can afford to light on fire into a casino. Also, when the doctor in the Michael Shane episode has the roulette wheel in his room, yes, he probably could practice hitting a section. Inferring that someone is a cheat has another implied factoid. A cheat has to practice 10 hours a day until they themselves cannot see that they are cheating with their own hands. I don't know how long he could stay in his hot room in Mexico City for practice. He probably got more practice in the casino. The other point, how the heck did he get a 500-pound uh, roulette wheel in a hotel room? And if he did get it in there, how did he not bust the extremely sensitive inner workings and balancing? Having a roulette wheel in a hotel room, unless it's a toy or tiny model, it would be impossible without a very special set of precision moving tools, special movers, packing, uh, like this one is moving China. I had to help do this once. A Mexico City hotel room? That boggles my mind. Uh, okay, the next part about breaking the bank. Back then, uh, table limits were different. Rich people could actually be the bank and finance a Baccarat table for the evening. The house would bank other games. While there were limits on how much people could bet, the idea of breaking the bank is more a Hollywood term than a usual reality. There have been occasional really small casinos that have run out of money by poor management decisions regarding many factors, including table limits as well. All casinos have a table maximum and a table minimum bet. They're usually seven or so bets apart so that a player can only double up so much. Double up to catch up when they are losing. $10 to $500 limit table. I lost 10, so I'll bet 20. Each time you double, you would recoup until uh, 10, 20, 40, 80, 160, 240, 480, and now you can't double. There are games with $100,000 and even higher limits for really high rollers, but still, top limits stop them from doubling and chasing. As for a person catching a hot streak and just winning any bets in a row, the casino just orders more chips for the table. The cages always have plenty of money. However, when players get into six-digit ranges, it's mostly electronic. I could tell you lots of hot streak stories of people starting out with $100 and winning tens of thousands. However, uh, these are only extremely rare cases. Most people lose uh, everything. Gambling uh, should be seen as going out for an evening of entertainment, like going bowling or going to a movie. Dinner, drinks, and some fun playing a game? What is the cost of the other entertainment? A casino even costs less if you just watch and don't play. But if you do play, remember, lower your expectations to the sellers. Casinos aren't built for uh, built on winners. Please gamble safely and responsibly. Uh, I know this was a really long one, Adam, but there was a lot of stuff in the Michael Shane episode. Please play the Gunsmoke episode when you can. I really enjoy listening to William Conrad, too. Thank you for all your hard work. Well, I appreciate the uh, comments on that. Now, one thing I do want to say, because 
I did mention, you know, there was an error when the file was initially uploaded, and I mentioned this on our social media, and I also, you know, have responded to some folks by email who they uh, got the file where we had the Michael Shane episode twice, um, and um, uh, we fixed that, like, you know, within the same day that it came out, so... Uh, if you were kind of like, I wonder what the Gunsmoke episode was like, uh, then uh, we did uh, actually go ahead and uh, and upload the Gunsmoke episode so you can re-download the episode. And anytime that we have an error like that, we're going to correct it as quickly as possible. Particularly, you know, if it's been a day or so since uh, we went ahead and uploaded it, then it's a safe bet to, you know, it's not going to cost you anything, you know, talking about responsible bets. Uh, it's a safe bet that we've probably gone ahead and re-upload the file and caught it. If for some reason you download it and it's still an error, then go ahead and email me and we will, you know, we'll get that fixed because we want these to be correct and for to be correct for not only those who download initially, but for those who will end up downloading later on. And I'm sorry about that mess up. Uh, these things happen, but they happen a lot less frequently than they used to. Because we've gotten a little bit better at this. And I also, for those of you who listen through the app or the website, we hired a website editor to check my work. Because we had errors that happened, you know, several years back when I would mess up the file that was supposed to be included in a given episode. And we have not had that sort of thing happen uh, in quite some time. I appreciate your patience. Uh, and again, if you do run into that, where a file, you know, if it's on the same day, feel free to email me and we'll get it fixed. If it's after the same day, uh, check and we will most likely have gone ahead and replaced the file because we don't want anybody missing out. But back to Jonathan's email. After that, uh, I did go ahead and send him, uh, you know, advise him that we'd fixed it and he went ahead and he re-downloaded and uh, he shared his thoughts on the Gunsmoke episode. The reference to roulette, four out of five spins hitting the number, would be good to four out of five spins hitting the section. I've done that many times. Well, thanks so much for the comment, Jonathan. And for all of the helpful information and terms, I obviously know very little about the operation of uh, casino games other than the odds favor the house. And so he provided some really good insight, and I always love it when someone uh, takes time to share their expertise, whatever it may be, that sheds light on the episode. And I also appreciate Jonathan providing the uh, warnings about gambling rent money and money you don't have and can't afford to lose at casinos. That's the type of thing I, I avoid saying too much as a guy who doesn't really gamble and is not expert. I, I did find the fact that we're talking about 500 pounds for the roulette wheel not something that I would have thought of. I'm not certain the writers realized that. Or if they did, they may have bet on listeners like me not realizing how heavy those things were. 
I did find it interesting, his note, that there was a little bit more realism in the skills of the croupier in the Gunsmoke episode than the Michael Shane episode. Now, it, a couple of reasons occur to me. Uh, first, it might just have been that everything on Michael Shane, and here we're referring to the Jeff Chandler version, not the Wally Mare version, but the Jeff Chandler version, everything was very much heightened. And I could see Fine and Freakin realizing that they needed to make this Western series a bit more grounded. And so they decided having him hit four out of five times was a lot more realistic than having him hit every time. Another thing they may have been thinking would have been that it may have been harder to hit every time on a number or, you know, being more realistic like Jonathan on a section during the Old West. I have no idea if that would be at all a realistic conclusion, but that may have been something that they may have thought, or that they may have thought the listeners would have found it less plausible in the Old West. At any rate, thank you so much for the email, and we have another one. Uh, this one it goes back a bit of ways, but since it's relevant to the whole gambling motif, uh, I'll decide we'll go ahead and read it. This is regarding episode 3039. In episode of Box 13, I'm a bit behind in listening, so this comment is about an episode you released uh, months ago. In this episode, Dan Holliday goes to a town that is clearly Las Vegas, but names something else. You speculated as to why this particular show chose to fictionalize the name of the gambling mecca, while other contemporary programs named it outright. I think it's as simple as the fact that at this time, uh, the mob ran Las Vegas. If you have an episode that deals with mob activity, fixing games in a casino, you really don't want to poke that sleeping uh, lion by nailing in the name of the town. Uh, maybe. By the way, I noticed that your speaking voice has dropped a few notes. I'm chalking that up to small baby exhaustion. That's an interesting idea. I wonder if uh, there were actual threats from the Mafia, or if there were some producers that were just a little paranoid about it. Another possibility that occurs to me on reading Darlene's letter is that Box 13 was a syndicated series, and so it would need to find a sponsor for each local market. So, tagging Las Vegas as a city with fixed uh, gambling tables might be something you could get away with on a network program. But naming the city might make it hard for you to find a sponsor in Las Vegas. So that's a possibility as well. As to small baby exhaustion, you're the first one to point this out. You might be on to something. It's something to be aware of, I guess. I have at times tried to be a little bit more quiet in recording because my office is on the other side of the wall from the bedroom. And of course, I have been tired a lot. So I'll keep an eye on that. Thank you so much, Darlene. And now let's go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Stephanie, Patreon supporter since March of uh, 2020. 
currently supporting the program at the Seamus level of $4 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Stephanie. And that will do it for today. If you are not subscribed to the podcast, you can subscribe using your favorite podcast software, including Spreaker, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or the Amazon Music uh, Store at Amazon.com slash OTRDetectives. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please rate and review wherever you download your podcast from, and you can also recommend us on Facebook. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode of I Hate Crime, but join us back here tomorrow for Dangerous Assignment, where... Too rugged for a ground search. Hey, what was that? Mitchell. Look outside, all those lights. Yeah. Hey, they look like rings or discs swirling around. They're right alongside of us. I'm going to go back aft in the plane. Maybe I can get a better look at them. Uh, Mitchell! Drake, what is it? What's the matter? Drake! The Drake just grabs at his chest and slumps over. The plane starts into a dive. I jump back into my seat and... Right on the level it out! I remember... Noticing Drake had been flying a heading of 95 degrees, so I hold it there. By the time I can look outside again, the whirling things are gone. I reach for the radio. T3 calling Santa Rosa Tower. T3 calling Santa Rosa Tower. Over. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.